0: This is David McCall, host of the QTS Experience. Today, I am thrilled to have a very special guest joining me, Dr. Avi Loeb. Dr. Loeb is a theoretical physicist and the Frank B. Baer, Jr., professor of science at Harvard University, where he chairs the astronomy department. He is also the author of numerous articles and books on astrophysics, cosmology, and the search for extraterrestrial life. Today, Dr. Loeb discusses the enigma of Oumuamua, the mysterious interstellar object that captured the world's attention in 2017. Dr. Loeb has been at the forefront of the scientific investigation of Oumuamua, and he shares some of his insights on what the strange visitor might reveal about the nature of our universe and our place within it. We also discuss how Avi's peers and the scientific community, in general, responded to the possibility of alien technology. But our conversation isn't limited to astrophysics alone. Dr. Loeb is a champion of scientific curiosity, humility, and exploration. And he'll talk about how these values have shaped his career and his approach to life. We will also touch on what he calls the three coming revolutions of AI sentience, longevity, and the discovery of advanced civilizations. AI and aliens, what could go wrong? So join us. For a fascinating and wide-ranging conversation with one of the most brilliant visionary scientists of our time, please enjoy Dr. Avi Loeb. The most valuable commodity on earth today is data. How we make it, use it, move it, and protect it. My name's David McCall. Join me today for the QTS experience. Three, two, one. Javi, thanks for coming on the show. I have to start off with this because you've been in the voice of my head for quite some time now as I've prepared for this conversation. But just I want to make sure I get this right. You grew up on a farm. You're a top three athlete in your high school district. You went through airborne training in the military. And for some amount of time, you or others considered you for special operations for the Israeli uh, um, military, one of the most elite command and control infrastructures on earth, and yet now here you are talking to me from your office, an astrophysicist. I I missed the curve. It seemed like you got way down the road of one path and turned, made a hard right turn. What happened?
1: Well, there is a common denominator that continues um, to the present time. I jogged at 4:30 uh, a.m. this morning, in the company of wild turkeys, and, and <laughs> to watch the sunrise. And I still, uh, when I'm I play soccer, I score even if I play with uh, undergrads. Uh, yeah. uh, so I still maintain the activity uh, every every day, and. Um, but more importantly, I try to maintain my youth. Uh, mm. Last week, I participated in a uh, Q&A forum where I was asked um, what is uh, the best recipe for changing a paradigm in science? Mm. Because, uh, you know, very often science uh, is based on incremental improvement and on w- of what we know, but every now and then there is a, a need for a huge shift in the way we perceive reality. Right. That uh, started with uh, Galileo Galilei, who realized perhaps the earth moves around the sun, and a lot of people were not ready for that. So they put him in house arrest, and today they would have canceled him on social media. But, uh, <laughs> sure. My answer to this question is, first, you work with young people. I enjoy working with young people because they don't have a prejudice. They're not attached to their ego as much as the adults in the room. And there is a better chance by working with them to embark on new territories, to take risks and discover something new, because experts are very much attached to past knowledge. They basically establish their careers, their reputation, their self-esteem on what we already know. So if they see an object in the sky, they would argue it's a rock it's definitely a rock of a type that we've never seen before, even if it looks anomalous, just like a cave dweller finding a cell phone would argue it's a rock of a type that I've never seen before. But if the cave dweller has a kid, the kid might press some buttons and realize that the cell phone is not a rock. And that's why I I enjoy working with young people. The second part of my answer was um, that I'm getting funded by the private sector, I don't rely on funding agencies that are full of mainstream scientists on funding committees uh, who argue that they shouldn't take any risks because otherwise they might waste taxpayers' money. Mm -hmm. The irony of the situation is that if you were to ask taxpayers what kind of a question would they like to find the answer to, they would say, are we alone? More than 60% of Americans believe that there is extraterrestrial life, intelligent life, and that's more than the fraction that believes in God, which is slightly less than 50%. So I say, how can you argue that studying this subject would be a waste of taxpayers' money without speaking to the taxpayers? That's very simple. And by the way, I grew up on a farm, as you said. I use common sense, but common sense is not common. In academia
0: it is uh when you're talking about those statistics i wonder uh, probably three percent believe that um there is a god he was an alien and he's running for office so hard to you know (laughs) well
1: um, uh, i should comment on that that you know often uh, religion and spirituality are viewed as if they are in conflict with science but i actually see a path for unifying them with science because Um, we are on the cusp of being able to develop life in the laboratory, artificial Mm -hmm. life. And Mm -hmm. at some point in the future, we might, once we understand how to unify quantum mechanics and gravity, we might be able to produce a baby universe in the laboratory. If you think about those accomplishments, they were attributed to God in -hmm. religious texts. So a very advanced scientific civilization might be a good approximation to what religious text called God yeah and um, as a result if we find evidence for a smarter kid in our cosmic neighborhood you know uh, that may bring us to unifying uh, religion and science in the sense that there is something in reality that represents what we thought all along something much more powerful than we are, much wiser than we are. And the reason is that our science and technology is only a century old. Uh, If you think about quantum mechanics, it was discovered exactly a century ago. And uh, the reason the two of us are speaking is because we are using computers, the internet, which are based on quantum mechanics. So uh, it's relatively recent that we learned about quantum mechanics. Uh, And so if there is another civilization that predated us by billions of years, because most of the stars are billions of years older than the sun. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if they predated us, they had a chance of understanding science far better than we do. And uh, we can learn from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see it as an opportunity rather than a threat.
0: One of the things that I enjoy the most about you, and there are several things, and I actually have that for later in our conversation, more of this philosophical conversation, because I it's one of my, the favorite things I like to talk about. But it is this, would I, however our audience heard what you just said there, what they should at least hear is we should have our mind open to have these honest conversations. We get in so many messes in our world because we are afraid to re-examine nuclear power, re-examine faith. If if the things, the religious writings or the scientific ideas that we have so much trust in faith can't stand up to scrutiny, well, then they shouldn't. We shouldn't uh, continue them. If they do... With an open and rational mind, which seems weird when you're talking about some of these things, but we, as a as a believer in God, I believe we get a rational mind, and 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 we shouldn't hide from scientific discovery. It's got to come up. We should have no sacred infrastructure that we're afraid to ask, because then that's a pretty little God. I, I wouldn't be particularly interested in that. But it but, is um, anyway. When we're going to talk about the philosophy, well, let me, and, me yeah.
1: just comment on that. And please, uh, if. If you take classes in philosophy in universities, mm-hmm. uh, you will find soon enough that uh, many of them discuss what the ancient Greeks were talking about. But the ancient Greeks didn't really have computers, right. didn't have access to chat GPT. And my point is, instead of focusing on what people said thousands of years ago, we should think about the current scientific and technological developments and how to cope with them because there are lots of ethical questions raised Mm. by artificial intelligence. And just to give an example, a decade ago when Instagram, you know, inflicted wounds uh, on uh, teenagers, you know, um, we were not aware of the danger. And my point is that we better have our philosophers, people that discuss uh, ethics, The humanities more broadly, including psychologists, focus on the future rather than the past. I call it humanities of the future. And um, lots of challenges. I can see three major revolutions in the coming century. The first one has to do with artificial intelligence becoming sentient. We already see the signs of that perhaps happening in the coming years. And that will raise a lot of questions, uh, also about respecting them. Um, you know, if you unplug an AI system from the wall, it might be like shooting a person in a way. Um, And then, um, so that would be one revolution, because it will take away uh, many of the tasks that are currently fulfilled by humans. And the question is, what will bring happiness to humans in the future? Mm -hmm. But uh, the second um, is uh, longevity. There is a possibility that the human lifespan will increase. Just imagine humans living for more than 120 years, uh, how society will deal with that. Obviously tenure in academia should be abolished at that point because otherwise young people will not have (laughs) an option. Uh, And the third revolution that I can see, which I'm trying to promote personally, is if we find clear evidence for an advanced technological civilization that is superior to us, And if you look at human history, much of it was shaped by a group of people trying to feel superior relative to other people. And I say, once we find uh, another civilization that is far more advanced than we are, all of the differences among us humans uh, should bring us a a sense of modesty, you know, that they are so insignificant uh, that we should all treat each other as equal members of the human species.
0: Right. I... um... I love I love all those things. I mean, we could spend time just on that. I had I got to talk to a guy named Dr. Uh, Paul Root Wolpe, um, who is head of ethic at Emory Medical Ethic at Emory. He was a one of the chief ethicists at NASA for a decade or some period of time, and he is a huge fan of technology and biotechnology. But he constantly brings this question of ethic for example two things you talked about i heard him debate one time a very interesting debate if we were able to put consciousness onto silicon and extend the human experience or extend human life or or even just the the bodies that we maintain now if we're able to do that and he said is that a great idea if you think about and he said he didn't say it wasn't he's just saying this is what we need to think about if you, just imagine if we could if you could live for 120 to 200 years Generals and politicians from the Civil War would be alive today. Right. So, do, and, and is that, what's the consequence for that? Do I, where, how do we make room in the marketplace and the job market, not just for ideas, but young people growing up? And like, what's the consequence? Has nature built in a paradigm for us to operate in? He's not saying no. He's just saying, as we think about th- th- these forces um, that are right. at play, we need to tread carefully, not not tread, but tread carefully so we don't have unintended consequences because we're just not sure. We're wrestling with Godlike power, but a brain that's evolved over millions, if not millions, you know, multiple millions of years, certainly some period of time, this is an area we need to tread cautiously.
1: Right. And but the way I see it is more uh, about space because we are focused in our attention on the two-dimensional surface of this rock that we call the Earth. And, um, you know, there is much more to explore away from Earth. Um, And we don't want everything that we care about to be demolished with a single point catastrophe. So we want to go into space. And um, the way I see it is, you know, if the human body is augmented or uh, if eventually we have very intelligent AI systems, We want AI astronauts. Um, We want to send systems that could survive for millions of years in space, despite the hazardous conditions and could represent our guiding principles. And that is a frontier that was not explored yet because the Perseverance rover on Mars right now is a robot operated by engineers at the Jet Propulsion Lab. What you want is a system that can make its own decision based on machine learning because the distances to other stars are so great that even light takes four years to travel to us from the nearest star and tens of thousands of years from the farthest stars within the main region of the Milky Way galaxy. So uh, any system we send out uh, will not be able to wait for us to guide it, it has to make its own judgments. So that's why AI systems are, Extremely uh, important. And one thing to keep in mind is, you know, we're wasting $2 trillion a year worldwide on military budgets, okay? And this is just to kill other people or to defend ourselves against other people killing us, mm-hmm. which is a very, um, you know, unsophisticated uh, activity. You know, what we are just wasting energy and resources on destructive processes. Now, why would we kill each other? You know, if all each of us lives for such a short time, let's just work together partner, you know, but instead we're spending $2 trillion a year. And if we were to take that money and listen to what John Lennon said, he said, imagine all the people living in peace. Okay. That's a very simple thing to imagine using this money for space exploration. What can we accomplish? Well, within a few decades, I did the calculation. We can send a CubeSat to each and every star within the Milky Way galaxy, 10 billion stars, okay? Mm. Within a few decades. And if another civilization is more peaceful seeking, um, then they may have done that. So how can we uh, find out if we live in a reality where there are probes everywhere, from other civilizations, uh, the only way to find out is by looking out and and uh, using telescopes, which is pretty much the approach that Galileo Galilei took, right? Uh, which we should uh, follow,
0: right? Well, I'm a wildly optimistic person. I love your idea but every now and then I see a 1995 Star Trek movie with Chris Pine or somebody in it where our AI comes back to get us or we poke the wrong bear or something happens. I have to tell myself, you know, that's just probably not how it works.
1: No, I I don't think we should be worried. Um, I mean, Stephen Hawking visited my home about six years ago and he was worried that if we uh, find or engage with aliens that that would be a threat Mm -hmm. to our existence. I don't see it that way. I see it as an opportunity for us to learn um, rather than a threat because, you know, we just had science and technology for a century. And uh, that's a very short fraction of the age of stars, which is a hundred million years, you know, a hundred million times longer than a century. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, um, uh, you know, as a result, we would either find a civilization which represents our past or our future. It's very unlikely for it to be exactly at the same phase of technological development. And if it's in the past, we have to board a spacecraft, land on their planet, sort of like in the film Avatar, and start searching through the trees for them. And that is a lot of work. I don't think we will ever do that. A much better approach is to look for those that are more advanced than we are, For that we don't need to do much because they may have sent probes that by now reached us especially if they predated us by you know um billions of years and it's just like checking your mailbox at home uh, for any packages that may have arrived in the mail the senders of those packages may not be alive and in the past in the past 70 years all we've been doing was searching for radio signals or laser signals from other civilizations uh, they may not be around anymore uh, so we don't get any signals Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is uh, within a billion years our planet will be burnt up by the sun evolving becoming hotter Uh, so there will be no oceans everything will be boiled off Um, and so if other planets like ours Predated us by billions of years. They already went through that phase, and the civilization on those planets escaped. There must have been a huge exodus, and they might might have. If, this was probably the biggest item uh, in, on the news in the newspapers in in the politics of that plan of those planets, and they may have cried for help but we were not around to listen to them because it was billions of years ago. And uh, those radio signals are by now at the edge of the universe. We can't really see them. Um, My point is many of the civilizations that predated us may not be around anymore, but we can do archeology span in space, look for the relics and such. And this is a path, a road that was not taken in the words of Robert Frost. And as a result, I do think that by pursuing it, we might find low hanging fruit.
0: Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons why I love to listen to you with charm and smile on your face, you I heard two things. One, hey, in a billion years, our sun's going to boil up the earth, so we better get busy getting busy, because uh, these are big tasks in front of us. And the second thing is these random probes have probably come out, if there are other civilizations, like my mailbox, which means somebody somewhere sent me a AAA membership card for some <laughs> other galaxy, and I'm going to get junk mail from somewhere else. Um, he where how i originally discovered your ideas probably like a lot of people um, that that don't follow your regular world quickly was when Amuamua was identified which by the way what a great name you know you almost want to be in that world just of discovery just so you can name stuff and choose whatever you want it's like if there is a heaven, you got to heaven and you got God to let you be in charge of autocorrect and how you could just mess with people and just insert random words. but. Um,
1: the strange thing about this object is is initially nobody suspected it to be
0: peculiar.
1: So astronomers were cheering up and saying, oh, here is a near-Earth object that uh, we should call uh, Oumuamua because it's a scout in the Hawaiian language. The telescope is in Hawaii, and it's the first one we discovered from outside the solar system. Now, you know, and for me, it was very intriguing The fact that it was discovered because I wrote a paper a decade earlier, Uh forecasting that we shouldn't see any rocks from interstellar space, based on what we know about the solar system. Uh, If all other planetary systems are like the solar system, there would be just too few of them. Uh So that was really surprising to me. And that's why I was paying attention to this discovery, but astronomers just said, oh, here is a rock from another star. Let's call it Oumuamua and they collected data for a few weeks without anticipating it being weird. And then once it started looking really weird and I started saying, well, maybe it's a technological uh, device, uh, they said, no, 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 no. It's natural, let's stop talking about it, let's move on. Uh, which, you know, by then there was enough data for me to substantiate a case and we can talk about it.
0: Yeah, qu- please do, if you could just help us to understand why you thought that.
1: <laughs> right, so. Uh, when it was discovered, uh, it was clear that it has a very extreme shape, because every eight hours, the amount of sunlight reflected from it changed by a factor of 10. Mm -hmm. So if you just imagine a piece of paper tumbling in the wind, uh, this means that, you know, the area that you see changes by 10, because we are seeing the reflection of sunlight from the area that is projected on the sky. And um, moreover, the analysis of, of the data implied that it has a flat shape, which is very unusual. Uh, having an object that is at least 10 times longer than it is wide, uh, even more than that, uh, and uh, having a flat geometry. That's you know that was never uh seen before. And then it was realized the object is actually being. Uh, pushed away from the sun, but there was no cometary evaporation, no no evaporated gases around it. The Spitzer Space Telescope looked very deeply for carbon-based molecules, nothing was found. So the question was, what is pushing it? And I suggested maybe it's sunlight reflected from it that is pushing it because it's flat, it could be even thin like a sail, and then sunlight would push it. So people's, and, and of course, nature doesn't make sails. So mm-hmm. I suggested maybe it's uh, artificial in origin. And then four years later, uh, there was uh, another object discovered. Um, actually, uh, it was given the name 2020 SO, mm-hmm. and um, uh, ended up, I mean, showing uh, no cometary tail, but being pushed by reflecting sunlight. It was discovered by the same telescope. But then within a few weeks, it was realized this object is actually a rocket booster that was launched by NASA uh, in 1966. So we know that it had thin walls. It was made of um, stainless steel. That's why it didn't evaporate. Um, And we know that it's artificial because we produced it. So now the question arises as to who produced Oumuamua? And then um, in 2019, uh, together with my undergraduate student, we discovered that this was not the first object from outside the system. In fact, the US government uh, discovered a meteor back in 2014, January 2014, that was moving so fast that it must have originated from outside the system. It's not bound to the sun and collided with earth and burned up in the, in the air um, and um, we wrote a paper saying this is the first interstellar meteor. It was roughly half a meter in size, in difference from Oumuamua, which was the size of a football field, 100 times longer. Hmm. Um, And uh, this uh, first meteor was uh, denied by my colleagues. They said, we don't believe the US government. And then the US government, um, the US uh, Space Command under the Department of Defense, sent a letter to NASA confirming the interstellar origin of this object at the 99.999%, at which point, you know, I mean, after the Department of Defense came to my defense, uh, we uh, were able to um, publish the paper and also uh, plan on an expedition uh, to retrieve the fragments of this first interstellar meteor, and we are planning to do that within a couple of months. Um, and so that will be very exciting to see if we find any fragments left over from it because uh, based on the analysis of the data from the government, the fireball that um, uh, the government data um, indicated we were able to conclude that this object was tougher than all meteors in the catalog, 273 of them. Uh, this was tougher than iron. So. Mm it must have been made from some unusual material. And the fundamental question is, if it's so rare relative to space rocks from the solar system, uh, it could have originated from some other type of system uh, that uh, we have not imagined. but it could also be artificial in origin. It's manufactured technologically to have a very high material strength. And we are planning, if we find any fragments, to analyze their composition. And, and you know, if we see any piece of material that is big enough, I already promised that Paula Antonelli at the Museum of uh, Modern Art in New York City that I will bring it for display there because it will <laughs> represent modernity for us
0: yes it will it for, for you know with an exclamation point How, one of the things you talk a lot about is um like we should be proactively you know pursuing um in, in the same way if you just look at human history and the way that we've discovered uh, whether it's exploring our coasts or our inlands or it's discovering through, you know, plastics and development and manufacturing, whatever. We are – it is hardwired into our nature to be proactively looking. And to the best of our – we have the most success when we have the most open mind because we're able to um, – it's kind of like when you squint your eyes and you give your brain freedom to interpret things, I guess.
1: Well, um, then, then. And
0: yet you run into so much resistance mm-hmm. in the very place I wouldn't expect. run into resistance well life is
1: a self-fulfilling prophecy Uh, you know a person that insists that they are single uh, and therefore there is no point in trying to find a date Mm. will have a very dull love life obviously you Mm -hmm. have to go out and date people to find a partner and so my point is uh, the academic community insists that the idea of having another intelligent species out there is extraordinary. Uh, They insist that we are unique and special and so forth. And I say, well, we should treat the possibility of a partner as ordinary because otherwise we will never search. Uh, And of course, we will not find extraordinary evidence if we don't search. Mm -hmm. You will never find wonderful things unless you search for them Um, and uh, by the way it will also bring us a meaning to our life because if you are single you look at the universe and you focus on dead objects like cosmologists did so far looking at stars uh, you know studying the dark matter elementary particles these are objects that bring you to the statement that the the Nobel laureate Steven Weinberg came to in his book uh, The First Three Minutes. He said, the more the universe appears comprehensible, the more pointless it looks. And I say it looks pointless because you are focusing on dead objects. If you were to find life or a partner out there, it will give a meaning to, to our life, it will give a meaning to the universe. Um, So we have never engaged in that search um, seriously. And that's what the the Galileo Project that I established a year and a half ago is all about, trying to look for relics of uh, technological civilizations near Earth. And the reason I pursue that, there are 100 members in that collaboration and 1,000 that want to join us. Uh, The reason I do that is because um a few multi-billionaires and uh, wealthy individuals came to the porch of my home they were inspired by my book extraterrestrial and offered donations that allow us to pursue this path and uh it's the private sector that is uh, more visionary um and um, in my mind you know if the public cares so much about this question the government cares about this question it's our civil duty uh to engage as scientists um and clear up the picture you know is there evidence for extraterrestrials out there
0: it's fascinating to me that we see wealthy modest somewhere on the path but entrepreneurs that, that have a mindset for whatever their motivation is. Some of them are, <clears throat> um, you know, ethical capitalists and some of them aren't. That's just the human condition. But they have this mindset of um, exploration and innovation and what are the possibilities, either in a way that I can help humans flourish or exploit or whatever it is, but they have this mindset of doing that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's really important for the future of humanity, this, yeah. this subject. Um, the way I see it is... There are three revolutions that are ahead of us. One is sentient AI systems, yeah. as, as we discussed before. It will basically change society dramatically. Another one is um, uh, an, uh, increasing the lifespan of people. You know, we, mm-hmm. we uh, decades from now, people might live much longer, maybe more than 120 years, and that will change everything. Mm-hmm. And the third is, of course, finding evidence for a more advanced. Uh, scientific civilization out there, which may include both rev- uh, the first two revolutions. And finding them it will give us uh, a glimpse at our own future. And that's why it's so important for yeah. us to check whether they exist out there, because it will change our aspirations for space. You know, frankly, I would, uh, you know, Elon Musk said that he's he dreams of dying on Mars. Okay. I dream of dying in space. Um, Hmm. um, And the reason is simple, you know, uh, young people, you know, very often soldiers are young people because they don't have any baggage uh, uh, of acquired, you know, uh, mental or or physical uh, property that they own and they don't, they're not as attached to themselves or their families. Uh, at a young age, as as they are later on in their life, as they become older. So they're willing to sacrifice their life. Uh, For me, the evolution was exactly the opposite. At a young age, I really wanted to fulfill my dreams. But um, eventually, you know, as I grew older, now I have fewer years left in my life than I already spent. And Mm -hmm. so I'm really taking risks in some sense. And I would love to to go to space in addition to going to the Pacific Ocean to search for the fragments of this first interstellar meteor. Uh, And if I ever die in space, not on Mars, but in space, there is a chance that my body will be eventually ejected from the solar system by a kick from a gravitational kick from a planet. And then, you know, there is a chance that um, it will eventually, after billions of years of traveling in interstellar space, will collide with a planet like the Earth and Mm. uh, will um, uh, appear as a meteor in the atmosphere of that planet. And uh, my wish, my dream is that there would be a scientist on that exoplanet who would be curious about this meteor that came from outside their planetary system and will uh, uh, decide to go out and collect the relics of that meteor and uh, despite the ridicule from uh, <laughs> fellow uh, people in Academia and, and and then you know the greatest honor that I can see for myself is being displayed in a museum uh, of another intelligent civilization. Um, right. this would really fulfill my dream uh, you know and it's worth be- waiting for it the billions of years. Uh, even if it involves just my body without me being alive.
0: That is a very specific dream. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when you were talking about young people in the military, so I was also airborne and I I think I just thought I was immortal. You know, I, I didn't, it was less than what I was thought I was risking. I raced dirt bikes. Um, I see this in, uh, professional car racers generally are young, and I used to think it was because of their um, agility, speed of mind to to do physical things. And that is part of it. But I've seen many racers in their prime have a really bad crash. They physically recover from it. But when they race, most of the time, they don't race the same way. It's not just that they've got more information, but they came so close to losing things and going through pain right. and whatever, that they're just not willing to be on the ragged edge anymore, which Generally, you have to be. So it's that combination of, I don't have as much baggage and I feel like I'm immortal, uh, something's not gonna happen to me.
1: Well, but if you look at the recent film, All Quiet on the Western Front, uh-huh. about the first World War, yeah. um, you will notice that those young soldiers, you know, they, they marched ahead uh, to be slaughtered, even though they realized that a lot of their fellows died. Mm. And the the reason they did that is because they were following the societal narrative of politicians and commanders that, you know, made very little sense in retrospect. Because, for example, my grandfather fought uh, on the German side against the French in the Battle of Verdun, Um, Mm. it it lasted four years. Uh, and 700,000 people died in it. And the front line did not did not move much. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nothing was accomplished as a result of those people dying. And you ask yourself, why did 700,000 people have to die? You know, if you think about it, there was um, a very famous physicist. Uh, He was the director of um, the Potsdam Observatory at the time 42 years old, his name is Carl Schwarzschild. Mm -hmm. And just like my grandfather he was a german jew that felt a, a commitment patriotism to serve on the front mm-hmm. and so he went uh, to the front uh, against russia and uh, during the world war 1 and uh, you know he died um, shortly afterwards but in the meantime he was able to send um, three postcards to Albert Einstein, and in one of them, he derived the solution for a black hole and we call it the Schwarzschild solution 107 years later. Uh, And as of now, we have an image of a black hole. Uh, We also have um, evidence for gravitational waves, ripples in space time generated when two black holes collided at the edge of the universe. Um, the Nobel Prize was awarded for that. And so uh, Karl Schwarzschild could have done much more if he wasn't as patriotic. You know, he could have contributed to science. Albert Einstein uh, somehow avoided uh, the war, and obviously he wrote many more papers afterwards. Right. But uh, Schwarzschild was the first one to derive a solution to Einstein's equations. And Einstein was really struck by that. He was surprised and, and, um, you know, was able to communicate it to the world, even though Schwarzschild was on the front. So what I'm trying to say is if instead of being engaged in destructive activities, as humans very often do, uh, we were all partnering together, trying to explore space and uh, working on advancing our knowledge, we would accomplish much more.
0: Yeah, we'd have a human beings would flourish. like I yeah, would not I, I have half...
1: It- I, I wrote an essay about it on uh, recently uh, on, on Medium, and uh, the title was, Science is Better than Politics.
0: Yeah, it's true. Hey, well, then that takes me to what I, I would love to, if we could spend a few minutes, y- you'd say something that I find uncommon with um, certain groups of scientists, which is I see science in this world of philosophy, science and religion and these other things complementary, not competing with each other. And, and, and they do sometimes bump up into each other and, and you know these I, some ideas compete, but you're so refreshing in, hey, look, how do we bring it together, have these conversations? What did you mean? Tease that out for us a little bit when you mean that they should be uh, complementary to each other.
1: Right. So the way I see, I think they have something in common. The frontiers of science and spirituality Mm -hmm. uh, are both exploring the unknown. And um, in a way, uh, you know, they are driven by curiosity. Uh, There is no business plan to living the solar system. (laughs) Yet, um, that's what excites me, you know, like uh, learning about what's out there. Um, because I want to figure out whether we have neighbors and uh, what do they look like and what are they thinking about? Can they teach me about uh, the cosmos? You know, uh, uh, one thing about the cosmic play is that we just, the, the human species just emerged uh, millions of years, a few million years ago. And that's just one part in 10,000 of uh, cosmic history. The big bang occurred 13.8 billion years ago we are also not at the center of the stage uh, as galileo was suggesting and mm-hmm. so if you arrive to a cosmic play uh, at the end and you are not at the center of the stage the play is not about you right and a sense of modesty uh, you know is really common uh for people that deal with spirituality because they realize that they are not at the center, necessarily. Uh, There is something more powerful out there. Uh, But it's also true if you listen to the universe. Uh, it, It keeps telling us it's not about us. And Nevertheless, my colleagues argue the existence of someone like us would be an extraordinary claim, and therefore we should not pursue it because we don't have extraordinary evidence. In the words of Carl Sagan, And my point is, extraordinary evidence requires extraordinary funding.
0: Right. And curiosity. You know, that's what the big. The the, I I grant that not all scientists and all we say it as if it's uniform. It's like saying Americans as if we're sort of this uniform. We have big framework ideas in general that we more or less, at least culturally, nod to. But we're spectacularly complex um, culture groups. But um, even in the smallest groups, you see that happen. But I, I would expect that there is a, a level of curiosity and engagement where when somebody poses something, you'd say, hmm, I hadn't thought about that before. I don't know that that'd even be possible. What if it was? Well, you know, what, what could that mean for us? How could, we, how could that help us? What should we guard against? And exactly. I'm surprised to see so often that that's not the case. It's more, well, we don't do that here.
1: Well, imagination allows you to acquire new knowledge. Um, if you are um, stuck in the old knowledge, um, you would never embark on new, ter- you will never learn or adapt to new aspects of reality that you were not aware of. Hmm. And, you know, there is this tendency, you see it uh, by people putting goggles on their head and going to the metaverse or people that take re- recreational drugs they want to live in a reality that flatters them that is uh, that gives them pleasure and i say you know i really am curious about the reality that we all share i don't want it you know to be under a contract to give me pleasure just because i pay for it or uh you know when i met my wife i said i don't want you to put any makeup i want see you the way you are and i think that is the most romantic thing i could have said to her and the same as a scientist i want to see nature the way it is and not based on experts opinions of what nature should be i want to see the pimples on the face of reality and many times in theoretical physics people tend to believe in beauty more than in truth yeah and uh, i don't think the two are necessarily the same sometimes the truth is beauty right but not always and we right. uh, and the way for us to figure it out is by evidence we should follow whatever we see we should respect nature and be humble modest because you know our knowledge is a, a, an island in an ocean of ignorance we don't know much the other thing i want to say is that we are used to zero sum games and that you know came from a time when we had limited resources we would fight for food for territory and if someone gains a territory, others would lose it. So that's a zero sum game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but science bring, brings a completely new concept, which is an infinite sum game in the sense that the more we know, the more benefit we generate for everyone uh, in the context of AI, for example, you know, um, if AI is able to do some of the routine tasks that we currently assign to administrators, it relieves us from these obligations. It's it's adding a whole new dimension, gives us more freedom. So it's an infinite sum game. Knowledge, you know, we can improve knowledge indefinitely and uh, nobody would lose. Everyone will benefit as long as we share it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why, you know, I see uh, prosperity uh, ahead if we just change our past uh, approach of um, Fighting for limited resources and wars and conflicts and investing in military budgets. If we replace that with a positive outlook where we say, okay, we are one species here on Earth, humanity Mm -hmm. as a whole. Forget about borders between nations. Let's just work together so that everyone would have a better life. Let's explore space. Let's learn more. Uh, that's the way I see uh, an intelligence realization. And one reason I'm seeking intelligence in space is because I don't find advanced intelligence being represented uh, as of yet here on Earth.
0: Yeah, it's a struggle. and we have all of this, uh, you'd think it would be intuitive because even in our finite way that we process things, we see that when we link arms with the with the tribe to our left and to the right, we're less vulnerable. To the, the tribes on the other side of the hill. And if you just extend that to where if we could l- find a way as a people, as a group of people, um, you know, our body, the brain doesn't try to do the things of the digestive system, which doesn't try to do the things of the feet, which doesn't, right? And when they more or less uh, collaborate, you have... You flourish. And when you don't, um, right. you know, all that I that I is trying to take all the resources from my compute power. No, well, then gouge your eyes out and see how far you get.
1: Well, interestingly, you know, it's really ironic or paradoxical that if you were to um, first of all think critically about everything you hear and and decide by yourself what, what is true or not, rather than appeal to likes uh, on social media or try to appease people around you in your bubble, then it leads you in the path of, to the path of collaboration, uh, more so than if you were to be polarized by, uh, and, and what I find is common sense that middle ground, uh, is not populated much uh, because people (laughs) tend to move to the the sideways. Um, And, The other thing is maybe artificial intelligence will help us have a more balanced uh, approach because just two examples suppose um you know the the government will consult ai systems about the risks from going to war and so forth it will not the decision will not be based on uh putin being an alpha male okay Mm -hmm. it will be based on more rational uh um assessment of the risks and the and chances. Um, so maybe, and, and the same is true about science. Suppose an AI system will analyze the data on a space rock and realize that it's not a rock because it doesn't look like any rock we had seen before. Uh, it will not be attached to its ego or it's exp- it will not seek prizes and awards like uh, scientists do. Uh, And perhaps it will come into more objective conclusions that are not tied up to past knowledge and are willing to explore new things. Um, So it may be that (laughs) the AI systems will help us become uh, more independent of our urge to fight each other and to demonstrate that we are better than others. Uh, otherwise, we need to do it ourselves. You know, it's a very difficult task. Uh, I think uh, first we have to work on us as individuals before we solve the big uh, challenges that humanity faces.
0: Yeah, well, um, I'm optimistic, um, but I'm, uh, I, you know, talking about searching for intelligent life. I've yet to see a sustained pattern of human beings of any tribe of any color where they um where they sustain that sort of behavior and thought. But that I keep plugging away, hoping that we can do that. I, I have a, do have a quick question. Um, when we we're talking about the universe, do you do you think the universe or 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 the things that we can see around us has a purpose? Is there a um you know, you talked about showing up at that play. We're not at the center of it. You know, we show up late. We're not in the center, which I agree with. I've heard so many people speak to this, both in a religious and a scientific context. We're sort of in this safe spot way out here. Um, So it can't be the focus on us is sort of the logical conclusion. What do you think the focus is, or is there a focus or a purpose?
1: Right. So we don't have the script, okay? We don't know what is the storyline uh, what's the purpose of the universe
0: right we don't know
1: we were just born into it um, and my recommendation since we are not the central actor is to seek other actors in that play perhaps they had been around longer mm. and they have a better insight as to what the play is about that's my advice rather than invent storylines that fit our ego, you know, that uh, make us happier, like we did in the past. It was all about us being at the center. and then about us being the only sentient beings out there. Um, let's avoid those narratives and seek others because they may know that, uh, they may have a better answer. And uh, I think just having a partner, will uh, give a meaning uh, to the cosmos. Because when we are alone, it, it feels lonely. You know, it feels pointless. Uh, but as anyone knows, uh, once you find a partner, it gives your life a meaning. Uh, and um, I would say that, um, you know, if you insist that we are alone and you never go out and seek a partner, then you will stay alone.
0: Yeah. It's it's funny, um, you're talking about... Um... Uh, being Jewish, I, I am a Christian, and it reminds me of in the book of Genesis, and I'm sure other writings say the same thing, God looked at Adam and said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make a partner. Now, whether you literally believe that story or not, it is a, it is a um, narrative that has been around since human beings tried to put together narratives. And so why, as we're expanding our mind and our consciousness, looking at other areas, not just that area it would seem to be whoever wrote it down for whatever their purpose was that that's a universal truth. It's better for us to have a partner.
1: Yeah, it's a universal truth. And in fact, there was a study at Harvard university just recently. And the conclusion was that happiness is brought about primarily through relationships in life. I mean, people focus on other aspects of life, but the most important uh, reward we get is through relationships my wife keeps uh, reminding me that um and the way i think of it more globally for humanity as a whole you know that the answer to the question are we alone you know it's not just a question that dating sites uh, would ask you but it's a question that humanity should ask uh, and invest resources in trying to date other partners because we can benefit greatly. It will give us a meaning to our existence. It will change our aspirations for space exploration. It will change our sense of our place in the universe. You know, A lot of questions that were in the realm of spirituality, religion in the past, can be addressed perhaps scientifically now. And why should we avoid these areas uh, by guessing the answer? That to me shows a lack of intelligence.
0: Yeah, and it just leads to um, it leads to conflict if we do not if we don't have the ability to come together and have honest questions and evaluate what it is that we're thinking and why and perhaps we don't resolve them but we build community we build relationships very hard to you know I know so many people that do not think philosophically or religiously like me and yet we have a lot of love and respect for each other even when we disagree on some things. Um, Some people of certain faith disagree with me wildly in politics or whatever. And some people that are same with me as politics, you know, think I'm ridiculous in my religious perspective, but we're able to come together and find out who we are as human beings. And we also in my groups tend to be very hopeful, knowledge seeking people. And perhaps I need to pivot on something that I held as a truth before, but now that I'm confronted with the truth, uh, that through the end of this telescope from, you know, middle of the Middle Ages or some other thing, I need to rethink because at the end of the day, I think we should want to know truth, right? right?
1: And the focus should change from us to what's out there. You right. see, um, we are very often driven by our ego, and that's why we want reality to sort of um, give us pleasure. So we put goggles on our head and go to the metaverse, or we take recreational drugs and imagine things that do not exist. Uh, I say, let's just stay real and collect evidence, data, large data sets will eventually guide us and um, we can assemble them now. And uh, that's what the Galileo project is doing. You know, we are, we have a first observatory that looks at the sky at um, objects uh, near earth, tries to identify them, whether they are natural, like birds, bugs, or whether they are, Human made like drones, uh, balloons. We heard the, in recent weeks about the balloons that were <laughs> shut down by the yeah. U.S. government, so obviously, the government cares about balloons in the sky. Um, and I, you know, I don't care too much about any human made uh equipment. You know, if we see balloons or um, or drones that they have a, a label made in China, I would. be very happy to transfer the data to Washington DC, but uh, because for me, it's boring. Uh, What I'm looking for is anything that is not natural or human-made that is from outside of this earth uh, being near earth. And um, and that, of course, we don't know what we will find. It's a fishing expedition. So we are uh, completely agnostic about what we might find, but you have to engage in the search in order to find something. And If we don't find anything unusual, and if I go to the Pacific Ocean and we realize this was a, this first interstellar meteor was a rock, uh, so be it. I will just report it the way I see it. But we must be um, guided by evidence, by data. And, you know, that's the lesson I learned from growing up on a farm that, you know, we should listen to nature, not to people.
0: Yeah. Because it will, it will most of the time, if not all the time, certainly if we have more knowledge more ability to focus, it's going to teach us um, the laws of the universe around us, and then we can operate in a healthy manner with them. For me, in a very practical, the philosophical person in me is resonating with you in a practical way. I'm in the data center business. I love that all this data is generated. It lives in my world. It doesn't always lead to uh, human flourishing. Sometimes we manipulate it and use it, unfortunately, um, not we, my company, but just human beings uh, wanting to control and manipulate um, but I'm looking forward to see how these things collaborate, uh, come together to collaborate through research, through, through machines that are um, looking for patterns and anomalies. I got to ask, we, I know we just have a few minutes left, but since sort of the initial fur and, and this tenured, respected Harvard professor saying, wait a minute. This seems really unnatural to me. And if it's unnatural, then perhaps it's of alien origin. And in fact, that seems more plausible. You got quite a reaction uh, from the world. Has that changed? Do you, have you gotten more allies, not just from the entrepreneurial world, but from the academic world, Have they've gotten more data, or is there still a high degree of resistance?
1: No, I do see uh, as a gradual shift. And of course, if we have evidence that is beyond any reasonable doubt, I can imagine my colleagues saying... Oh yeah, we, we thought it all along, you know, <laughs> for decades we were arguing, because, uh, so I would not be surprised if many of those that push back really are intrigued by this subject and yeah. will come to support it. Um, so the way I see it is uh, 70 years ago, Enrico Fermi, a famous physicist, spoke about extraterrestrials uh, during lunch at Los Alamos and said that, where is everybody? Now, this is just like sitting at home on the sofa and they're looking around and saying, I don't see my neighbors, right. I may be alone, but actually to find your neighbors, you need to look through your windows and you yeah. better use a telescope. That's what we are doing with the Galileo project. And we will analyze the data with artificial intelligence algorithms, try to classify objects as natural or human made and see if there is anything else. And that's the way to advance our knowledge rather than say, where is everybody? Just go out and search for them and then you might find a partner
0: right i i agree we can wrap up there um just one last question just for the i know all my critics are going to say are going to say you didn't ask him are aliens already here there's no reason we have yet to imagine that there are aliens walking amongst us there's no scientific data you've come across yet is there
1: no and i also I'm not thinking about the first encounters involving biological creatures. I I do think about if these are functional devices, they will be artificial intelligence equipped. Uh, um, If they are not functional, they would look like space trash, like this meteor that uh, collided with Earth. So it will be very clear to us uh, once we have an encounter. And stay tuned. We are searching for it.
0: Avi, thank you so much for coming on the show. I cannot wait until our next conversation. I get to some of those other 12 pages of notes. Thank you very much and uh, take care.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: My great pleasure. And if you like this, please click the like button. If you loved it, please subscribe. We'll see you next time, everybody, on the QTS Experience. Take care.